Hello, everybody, and thank you for attending Family of Grace. Here at Family of Grace, we pride ourselves in having individuals from all different walks of life who attend fellowship at our church. I got plugged into Family of Grace back last fall through Prince Board, who's one of our singers on stage, and he brought me in with the soccer team from Louisiana College. And after one Sunday here, I really enjoyed it, and I felt like I wanted to come back and continue coming. And so I've been coming ever since then. And what Family of Grace means to me is it gives me an opportunity to plug into the community through an organization and a church that is more mission-minded than it is inside the church walls. So whenever I say that Family of Grace is mission-minded, I say that we do so much more than inside the church. It's all outside the church. We go out and we get the kids and we help them out. And that's what I really like about Family of Grace is their ability to get outside of the church walls and go do ministry in the area, in the surrounding area in Alexandria. Thank you. For- you have your Bible today. Our background passage of Scripture is Isaiah chapter 59, verses 15 through 16. Started off in Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Not that God's hand's too short or his ear too dull to hear you, but Our sin created a barrier between us and God. And then we go to verse 15 through 16. It says, God searched for a man to stand in the gap, but he found no one. Now, that's our background passage. We looked at the first message dealing with the barrier, the second message dealing with the birth, and today our message is dealing with the burden. Because with every birth comes a burden. New responsibilities new children to take care of, to make a pathway forward for them. And so with birth comes responsibility. I go back to my statement that I made a lot, that there are no illegitimate children, but there's a lot of illegitimate parents because parents check out on the children, but every child has a purpose. God had a plan. Because he had a plan, he created a child. And so what God is up to in our hearts and lives is about his plan. And so when we connect these dots and we begin to look at what God's doing, sometimes we don't understand it, but God created us. And with birth comes a burden. You say, well, it's not really a burden. Well, the burden has to be lifted by the parents. The burden has to be lifted off the shoulders of the children. Children should not be the adults. And in many cases, the children are the adults. Many children that we minister to on a weekly basis, you may not know this, but on a weekly basis, just about every Wednesday night, there's somewhere between 150 to 200 children and youth here at Family of Grace Church. And I would would venture to say a large percentage of them, maybe not a majority, but a large percentage are being a lot of the adults in their home. They're taking care of brothers and sisters. They're providing for them. They're, 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 they're working. They're doing all of these things. Matter of fact, I read a statistic just last week that the majority of the reason that most children drop out of school is not because they're lazy. And it's not because they're dumb. But it's because they had no other choice. Because they had to provide for their family in many cases. You say, preacher, you're crazy. That sounds like something that was back in the day. Well, back in the day is still today. Now, I'm not saying there aren't those cases where kids are lazy, kids aren't applying themselves and all that and looking for an easy way out. But I'm saying a lot of them are struggling because there's a burden that is placed upon them. What is the definition of a burden? 
It's interesting. The definition of a burden is something that which is born with difficulty. Heavy. Too much to carry. It amazes me with children that they always want to pick up the thing that they cannot manage. And we bear things with difficulty that sometimes overwhelm us. And so there was this barrier that had to be removed. There was this birth that took place we looked at last week. But with the birth came something else. Now, now today we're gonna be, uh, it's going to be a little different than my normal preaching style. So just get your hand out ready and jot down these scriptures and go back and look them up. Because I pretty much normally an expository preacher take a text and walk through it. And, but today we're going to take the life of Christ and walk through it. Last week we looked at the birth. Today I want to look kind of at the life. So let's jump into this passage of Scripture. Let's jump into this passage of Scripture right in the middle of the book of Matthew. When we look at this, the first thing that Jesus bore was that he bore the burden of humanity. Now, jot these Scriptures down. You're familiar with them, and you're going to recognize them, so I'm not going to give you time to turn to them. But the first thing that Jesus bore was he bore the burden of humanity. Something that he had never experienced before. You remember last week we talked about how Jesus wasn't 50% God and 50% man. And then when he needed to be performed the supernatural miracles, he didn't slip over into a telephone booth, put on his super Jesus outfit and come out and start healing people. But he was all God and all man. He was the God man. And so as we connect these dots, the other thing was though that Jesus Being the God-man experienced something that he had never experienced before. He understood what it was like to have to deal with the burden of flesh. He understood temptation. Never had really been tempted before because he was God. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus will be God. So he never really had to identify with that struggle of temptation. But the Bible says very early on in his ministry, as a young man, now we've passed up. He grew up in the carpenter shop. Now he's striking out on his own. Now we know as a young man, he was steadily teaching. Matter of fact, you remember the day that that it was the first home alone experience ever, really, or not really home alone, but they left Jesus in town. Then Mary and Joseph went home. They got there and it's like, oh my God, where's Jesus? And he went back and he was in the temple teaching. But when he struck off in the book of Matthew chapter 4, it says that he went up into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And he was tempted. He was tempted physically. He was tempted emotionally. And he was tempted spiritually by the devil. But for the first time, Jesus knew what it was like to experience temptation. He bore the responsibility of humanity. He knew what it was like to have the devil come after him. For the first time, he knew what it was like to be hungry. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, Satan said, Well, if you're hungry, why don't you turn those bread into, those stones into bread? I mean, you're God. Gee, Satan knew he was God. Why are you taking on the form of humanity and you're hungry when you're God? Now, this was his first ever worship leader, so he knew they knew each other. And he's like, you're God. Don't go around the wilderness hungry. Turn these stones into bread. If you're God, what he said, but he knew he was God. 
He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be sleepy. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 8 and verse 25. You know the story of where they took off in the boat and the storm came up and they was all frantic and panicking. Oh my goodness, we're going down, we're going down. Where in the world is Jesus when you need him? Where is Jesus? In the body of bow of the boat, sleeping. Why was he sleeping? You've heard preachers say this. God's not sleepy. God's not sick. God's not away on vacation. So why was Jesus sleeping if he was God? Because he was in the flesh. So he subjected himself to the toils, the weariness, the struggles, the temptation, the, the, the weaknesses of man. And he was sleepy. So he was resting in the bow of the boat. And so he bore the burden of humanity. What it was like to be crippled or limited. To be limited in the human realm. Jesus had to sleep. Before he put on the robe of flesh, there was no need for no sleep because he was God. In the spirit, not in the flesh. He was hungry. He was sleepy. The Bible teaches us in Matthew 14 that he was sorrowful. When John the Baptist was beheaded, did he keep on with ministry? No, he told his disciples, we need to get away. I'm sad. My best friend, my first cousin and partner in ministry is dead. I'm heartbroken. I just want to get away. And I just want to, I want to cry out to the Father in heaven and say, God, what's going on? He knew what it was like to lose people. He bore the burden of humanity. Today, he also wept. John 11 and 35, he went beyond sorrow. And he sat down and he began to weep. When Lazarus, his best friend, died. The Bible says Jesus wept. He groaned within himself. When you begin to groan inwardly, it produces tears outwardly. When the agony whelms up inside of you, it begins to overflow outside of you. And the groaning inside of Jesus, the agony, the heart-wrenchingness, even though Jesus, get this, even though he knew he was about to go to the cemetery and get him up, he still was sorrowful. Jesus bore the burden of humanity. Oh, let me tell you something. You say, preacher, what in the world does that have to do with me today? A lot. Because we do not have a high priest, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, that cannot sympathize with us, but was tempted at all points, yet as we are, but without sin. I'm telling you, are you going through a moment of adversity and temptation? Your, your Savior has already borne that. Are you going through a moment of struggle, of hunger, of famine, of weakness, of nakedness, of peril, of countrymen, of peril of mamas and daddies and brothers and sisters? Jesus has already gone through that. Is your heart broken? Is your, are you sorrowful from within? And Jesus has identified with that. I'm telling you, my friends, he put on the robe of flesh because there was a barrier that had to be removed. But when you got on the other side of the barrier, there was a burden that had to be lifted. I remember as a young child, my grandparents would sing a song that went like this. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very 
near. He was so near that he put on the robe of flesh, was born of a virgin, walked in the shoes that we walked in, traveled down the pathways of humanity that we travel down. Well, that's a whole sermon in itself, so let me move on, okay? Not only did he bear the bore, he bore the burden of humanity, but he bore the burden from humanity. You say, preacher, what's the difference? A lot. The first point was he subjected himself to the weakness of humanity, the frailty of humanity. The second thing is that he bore the burden from humanity. You know the burden your neighbor puts on you. When you park your car a little over the edge of the property line or something like that. You know the burden that your whoever you fill in the blank puts on you at work, at your home or in your hobbies or whatever it is. You know those people. You can go there prayed up, sanctified, praising the Lord, and you go there and they jerk the Spirit of God right off of you. Amen? I mean, all you got to do is look at them. and I mean, everything you had that morning just went out the window because they, they're your holy sandpaper. Amen? God put them in your life to rub off all the rough spots. Amen? He bore the burden from humanity. I'm not making this up. Let me show you. He was rejected. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 and 6, right early on in his ministry, they looked at Jesus and said, wait a minute. Hold, hold the show. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? The boy that was building furniture in the carpenter shop? Who does he think he is? coming here and teaching and preaching to us like that he bore the burden of rejection matter of fact here's what they said about jesus that he could do no great and mighty works there except heal a few sick people because of their unbelief and he marveled jesus only marveled a couple of times in the bible and this is one of the first ones one of the first places that he marveled he marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at the widow's might at her belief. So when there was this huge overwhelming <clears throat> surge of unbelief or faith, he marveled. How long has it been since you made Jesus marvel? How long has it been since I caused him to marvel, either good or bad? He marveled in unbelief. And they rejected him. And so he went on his journey. Another passage of scripture where, they, where this happened was, you remember where in the early stages of the book of John, there was a multitude of people coming. I mean, Jesus was healing folks. I mean, the crowds were coming in. They were filling that everything to capacity. And Jesus said, now you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And many of them said, now, boy, that's a hard saying. And they turned and walked away. And Jesus looked at the twelve and he said, hey guys, do you want to go away also? Because if you do, now's the time. Because it's not going to get any better. Today there's a little picture of that in our world that we live in here. I mean, we are filling arenas to the capacity in the name of Jesus, which is great. 
But it's not the whole counsel of the word of God. I'm telling you that if they begin to preach death of self, lordship, following Jesus Christ, taking up your cross and following him, many people would say, boy, that's a hard say, preacher. I just really wanted the fringe benefits of Christianity. I'm telling you, Jesus did not stay on the fringe for you. Therefore, we need to get all in for him. And they rejected him. He was betrayed. You remember the story of Peter standing there by the campfire. Betrayed Jesus not just once but three times. You know, Jesus knows what it's like in the flesh to just get angry. As a matter of fact, he told us we could be angry. <clears throat> he said, just don't sin when you do it. Now, boy, there's an oxymoron. To get angry and not sin. You can do it, but most of us, when we get angry, we want to sin. Amen. Jesus began to be so angry with what they were doing in the temple. In the book of Matthew chapter 21. In, in, the, name of Christ, in the name of church. He just went in there. I mean, he just started turning tables over. Driving them out. Saying this is wrong. He knew what it was like to be angry. See he bore the burden of humanity. He knew what it was like to experience the weaknesses of humanity. He knew what it was like to experience the frustration from humanity. That humanity that humans will put on you. So don't tell me that Jesus doesn't know how I feel. Don't tell me that Jesus cannot identify with my weaknesses. Now, you can believe whatever you want to, but as for me, I choose to believe what the Word of God says. And when I read the life of Christ, Christ knew what it was like to be up. He knew what it was like to be down. And he knew what it was like to be in between. He knew what it was like to be the hero and not be able to say anything wrong. And he knew what it was like not to be able to say anything right. He bore the burden from humanity. That's a sermon in itself, so let me move along. But not only did he bore the burden of living the life of a human and experiencing life from humans, oh my goodness, but he bore the burden for humanity. God looked for a man to stand in the gap and there was no one. So with his own arm, he brought salvation. God in the flesh came, lived, alive, sinless. And he died and he rose again. Jesus identifies with our weaknesses. Jesus identifies with our struggles. Jesus went further, though. He bore it for humanity. Have you ever heard this statement? Maybe it was made about you, I hope. That guy or that girl will give you the shirt off their back. You're not going to find a better person than them. It will give you the shirt off of their 
back. Wow, man. Can he be my neighbor? Can he be my neighbor? There's not a whole lot of them. I'd sure like to be his neighbor, her neighbor. But Jesus took that a step further. He said, I'm not necessarily going to give you the shirt off my back, but I will give you the skin off of my back. See, he was clothed in skin as a baby that the skin might be ripped from him as an adult and he might bleed and die upon the cross that those who were far off might be brought near by his blood. Isaiah 53 says he was unrecognizable. Here's what it says in the book of Matthew, staying with that gospel. Here's what it says in the book of Matthew, chapter 11 and verse 28. What an awesome passage of Scripture. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You know what's interesting about that is most people associate rest with death. I've heard this statement, well, there'll be time to rest when you're dead and gone. That's the, the overachievers. God love them. He needs them. Push the rest of us along. But that, look, Jesus said, while you live, while, my goodness, get this, while you live with the struggle of humanity, you can have rest. While you live with the struggle from humanity, you can have rest. Because Jesus said, I have provided the rest. I am the rest. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Come unto me all. All. That's not just one ethnic group. That's just not one language. That's not one religious uh, denomination that's full of themselves. He said, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. You can find rest for your soul. Take my yoke. Now for all you younger people, that, that's, that's not the, that's not the uh, middle of the egg that he's talking about. It's an old farming term. That they would yoke two animals together. And they would pull in tandem. Together. Jesus says, take my yoke. For it's gentle. It's meek. It's lowly at heart. And you can find rest. For your soul. In the midst of the chaos. In the midst of the struggle. In the midst of the strife. You can have rest. Because Jesus put on the robe of flesh and he knew what it's like to struggle with humanity. He knew what it was like to struggle from humanity. So he did for every human what humans could not do. He overcome the struggle of humanity that we might have victory through Jesus. Mercy. That's good stuff. The Bible says this, in case you don't believe me, it lays it out literally in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 35. What an awesome passage of scripture. I want to read this for you verbatim here. Isaiah 53, he connects the dots. And he, here's what he says. He was despised and rejected. A man of sufferings. Who knew that, who knew what sickness was. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't know what it's like. Not to struggle with the flesh. 
He was like one people that turned away from. Well, tell me he didn't know what it would be like to be rejected. He was despised. Well, my goodness, that's further than rejected. It's one thing for me and not to like you and want to hang out with you, but it's another thing for them to want to despise you. And he didn't have, and we didn't value him. You ever felt like people don't value you? You ever feel like people don't value who you are and what you are? Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our sins, punished for our peace. And we were healed by his wounds. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned our own way. But the Lord is punished. Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. Isaiah was a picture, not only of the virgin in chapter 7 that would come and bring forth a son who would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us, but he also had a picture of the death that he would die, the life that he would live, the death that he would die, so that those of us who were far off could be brought near by Jesus. That, my brothers and sisters, is one Merry Christmas. That is one reason for you to look somebody in the eye and say, Merry Jesus. Merry Christmas. Because God loves you. Oh, what a Savior. Love came down and rescued you. Because... Jesus loves you, this I know, for his Bible, for his word, tells me so. Do you believe that? He knows what it's like to live where you live. He knows what it's like to struggle with people you struggle with. But he knows something that you don't know. I hope you know. He gave us victory. The Bible says this. 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to become sin. To, to become it. Not to be it. To become it. On the cross to become sin. That we could become the children of God. hope I don't get in trouble with animal lovers for this statement but boy our TV is filled with pictures of sad puppies and animals that need to be rescued they show these pictures and videos trying to pull on your heartstrings to rescue a puppy I'm telling you that you are more than a puppy you are a child of God you were created in the image of God and he didn't need an emotional video to stir you up to put on the robe of flesh. He said, I'll go because they need me. And he came to do for you what you couldn't do. The devil wants you to think, I've been this way too long. There's no hope for me. I can't change. Well, I'm telling you, why would you choose to believe a lie? 
instead of the truth. But you got to make the decision. Will you agree with God? Or will you agree with the devil? God's going to come to you and he's going to say, here's what I want you to do. And you have to make a decision. Will I do it or will I reject it? He's done all that he can do. He lived. He was born. He lived and he died. What will you do?